You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Jonah chapter 2. What we have in front of us this morning is a psalm. You may not think of it as a psalm, but that's exactly what it is. It's a psalm written just like what we read in the psalms themselves. There is, um, There are passages here that flow just like a song and, of course, a prayer that, that Jonah is praying. So let's read through it this morning before we get started. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head in the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Father in heaven, we pause this morning to give you praise and thanks for all that you've done. And Father, this morning we especially want to thank you for your providence and for your sovereignty. Father, we know that as we look around us uh, in our land, there is chaos, there is confusion. And Father, there is great fear. And Father, as we gather this morning, both here and online, I pray that just as Ed prayed just a little while ago, that all those things that are going on in our life, that we could just set that aside for just a moment. But Father, we know that in your providence and your sovereignty, that nothing is out of your control. This universe is being held together by your power. The things that are transpiring in our community and in our world, Father, you are fully aware of and you are fully in control. There is nothing happening in the universe right now, in our lives individually right now, that you are not in control of. And Father, we also know that you love us with a great love. And Father, it's those two great truths that anchor us when times are hard. Father, for many here today and those watching online, that may be the only two things that is anchoring us, is that you love us and that you're in control. Father, in Jonah's life as well as our own, there are storms, storms that are unexpected, storms that are not because of our decisions, storms that are not because of some sin we've committed. But Father, we also know that there are storms and troubles and circumstances and difficulties that come into our life because of the foolishness that we've engaged in. So, Father, help us to know the difference. And in both of those places, whether by our own decisions or not, may we trust and may we know that you're in control and that you love us with a great love. 
Father, guide us in your word this morning, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be a, an avid reader. Uh, maybe you like novels, great stories, or maybe you like movies. And there's always that point, maybe in the movie, where maybe you don't know how the movie's going to play out. You haven't seen the movie, but there's these things in narratives that, that we all watch the story play out, and we're like, don't go in that building, right? Or we're reading the story, and we're like, you know, you're running from a madman. You know, often horror stories do this a lot. You're running from some madman, and there's this woodshed out in the middle of the woods. And you're thinking, surely they're not going to go in that shed. And yet they do. And it's like, what are you thinking? Don't go in there. And maybe in Jonah's story, maybe last week as we looked at it, maybe it was at that moment when Jonah says to God, no. Now, of course, many of you, probably all of you, know the story of Jonah. Or maybe you're hearing it for the very first time. But we know enough to know that when God says something to us and it calls us to do something that that when we say no to that, well, oftentimes there's going to be trouble on the other side of that. We, we know that, that as believers in Christ, that when we surrender to him and we said that, Jesus, you are now the Lord of my life, what that really means is, is that I've given up control of my own life. There, there's no way around that in the, in the text. There's no way, way around that in the gospel. That the gospel is about surrendering our life to Jesus, and then Jesus controls, dictates, guides, empowers, and yes, blesses our life. But make no mistake about it, for the Lord to be Lord, it means that he's in control. Maybe, maybe with Jonah, maybe it was at that moment when the storm is raging, and we know that that storm was hurled upon the Mediterranean because of Jonah's disobedience. The mariners had not done anything wrong to justify this supernatural storm. Jonah was on the ship, and maybe, maybe it was at that moment at Joppa. He said no to the Lord, and now he goes to Joppa, and there's a boat that's leaving for Tarshish. And we said that that was 2,500 miles away from where God had told Jonah to go, to Nineveh. Last week I told you that there's always, always, always going to be a ship leaving that takes us away from the will of God. Now, of course, I'm saying that in an illustrative way, but understand that if you're running from God, there are always opportunities to run further and further away in disobedience. You've got friends. You've got people that you trust that are telling you, oh, don't, don't get so caught up in religion. That's a boat leaving for Tarshish. Oh, God is saying to you that you, you need to bring Jesus up to, your, to one of your coworkers. And then all of a sudden there's that other voice here. He's, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't, you can't talk about Jesus. Well, guess what that is? That's a ship leaving for Tarshish. Or, or maybe... Maybe it's someone that you've wronged and you know you were in the wrong and you've never went back and made that right. And you're justifying in your mind why you can never offer forgiveness to this person for the way they hurt you. Or you can never ask forgiveness for what you did. Guess what that is? That's a ship leaving for Tarshish to take you out of the will of God. Maybe it's right about the time Jonah's getting ready to get on that boat. We're all crying out, no, don't do it. Yet he does. The storm comes. Where's Jonah? Well, he's asleep in the boat. I don't know if Jonah was just exhausted from running from God or that he felt so confident that he had ran from God that he's asleep. But nonetheless, he's in sleep. A storm hits, a supernatural storm. The mariners realize that this is not just your average storm. They bring Jonah up on the boat. They've been praying to all their gods to no avail. Jonah, have you prayed to your God? It's interesting to me that the only guy on the boat 
who is a follower of Jehovah God is the only one who's not praying. And then Jonah comes up with an idea, and it's a terrible idea. We're all going, no, we know where this goes. Jonah says, the only way we're going to get out of this is if you throw me overboard because I'm the reason the storm's here. Jonah knew that the storm was there because of his own disobedience. So the idea is, you throw me overboard and everything will calm down. That's a really, really bad idea, Jonah, especially if you know what happens next. Well, the mariners see that it's a bad idea, and they try to do everything they can to row and lighten the ship. They do everything they can, but it's come down to that critical moment. Jonah knows it, the mariners know it, and they grab him. I don't know if they swing him two or three times, but over the edge of the ship he goes. And we know what happens next because in chapter 1 it tells us that God appointed a fish to come and swallow Jonah. Now, let me reiterate this because I said it last week and I need to say it again. I believe fully and completely that God appointed a fish a real fish, a literal fish, not a metaphor for God's judgment that this is a real fish. It was a big fish. And Jonah is a real man, not some kind of illustration of when someone does a disobedient act or what happens. Jonah's a real guy. It's a real fish. This real fish swallows that real guy. And that real guy was in that real fish for three days and three nights. Can I just be clear about that? We read the Bible literally. And when it says that it's literal, and it does, we take it literally. So I believe this completely and hardly. As a matter of fact, I'm going to surprise you in this. Who else believes this? We'll get to that in a minute. So when God's people decide to disobey and to rebel, you can make no mistake about it. Storms are going to gather. Clouds are going to gather. There's going to be a problem that comes in your life because God, being a good father, is going to correct his sons and daughters when they disobey. Now, don't hear me say this morning that every storm you're facing, every trouble you're facing is a result of some sin that you've committed or some disobedient act. That's not the case, not every one of them. But we might need to consider that the circumstances we're in and the storm that we're in may be exactly what's happening to Jonah, that somewhere along the line, we said no to God. And God said, okay. And the storm clouds began to gather. I heard this quote, I actually read this quote, guy by the name of Oswald Chambers said this. He says, quote, there are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. Okay, I can raise my hand there. <laughs> There's some things that God has taught me down through the years that I don't think I could have learned any other way except the hard way. It was through some disobedient act. God begins to bring the circumstances of that foolishness in on my life or something completely unexpected comes into my life as a result of, of, of the foolishness I'm in. <laughs> And it's in that place of correction that God has taught me some things. And there's some places here that God is teaching Jonah some things. What do you think God wants to teach us when we're in a pit? What, what do you think God is trying to say? What, when, when God steps into our life, he's trying to teach us some things. It's in that pit, in that place of difficulty that, that God is trying to get us, I don't know, to maybe refocus on some things in our life. Maybe some new priorities. Maybe... Maybe some choices that we're making. What is God trying to do in that pit? We know that we read in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, don't despise the chastisement of God. In James, James says, count it all joy. That's a hard one, isn't it? Count it all joy 
when these problems and difficulties and persecutions come into our life. Because God's up to something. God is up to something when you're in that pit. God is up to something when you're broken. God is up to something when, yes, when you have made some really, really bad choices and you're suffering from that, God is trying to say something, teach you something. What is he trying to teach? Let's look at what he's trying to teach Jonah, and I think we'll find some crossover into our lives. So let's look at Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, and you heard my voice. Here's the first thing that God is trying to teach us when we're in that mess, is that God hears us even in the pit. Right here at the very beginning of what Jonah is praying from the belly of this fish, he says, God, I know you hear me. God, I know you can hear me even though I'm in this fish. Even though I'm, on the bo- I'm in the bottom of the ocean, you still hear my voice. And the fact of the matter is, is that when we're in that mess, when we're in the circumstances of our own foolishness, we begin to listen to a lie that Satan has been telling ever since the beginning. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that we believe this every time. I have fallen for it many times, that when we're in that mess, in that dark place, in that pit of our own doing, we believe Satan when he says, God's abandoned you. God's not going to hear you in that. God knows what you did. God, God knows what got you here. And do you think for a minute that a holy God is not only, he's not going to hear you, but he's certainly not going to intervene. And I hear that every time. No doubt you've heard that, and no doubt you've believed it. Isn't it interesting that they're right here? Jonah says, God, I know you hear me. I know you're listening. And isn't it interesting that in Jonah chapter 2, when he's in the belly of the fish, is when we hear Jonah pray for the very first time. Remember on the deck of the ship? You've got the mariners who are crying out to every god that they can think of, every false god, every sun god, moon god, ocean god, who knows what all they're calling out. They're calling out to every god, they're checking off the list, nothing's changing. And the only guy on the boat who's not praying is the only one who knows who to pray to. Isn't that interesting? Could it be the reason we're not praying when we're in this pit is because we don't believe God will hear us? Is it because we believe we've gone too far? Is it because we're believing the lies of the enemy? And we're taking him at truth when we We're going to see that a lot of what he's recounting, a lot of what he's talking about was actually when John was in the water, not in the fish. Because it was in the water, the stress began to happen. When Jonah falls overboard, when they throw him overboard and he hits that cold water, it's right then he realizes that he's in big, big trouble. And we all knew that, right? Before he was thrown up, we knew. We knew what was going to happen. But Jonah never prays on the boat. He never prays during the storm. He never prays whenever he only looks for God. He only calls out to him when he's in the pit. And then maybe, just maybe, the pit is what's going to drive you back to God. Maybe it's the pit that's going to get your attention. But none of it is going to be effective until you realize that God will hear you from that deep place. And that's why Satan will lie to you and tell you that God's abandoned you. Look at, the, look at these words. I want you to pay attention to what the words that Jonah uses here. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out 
to the Lord out of my distress. You see that word distress? If you do a little word study on that Hebrew word, you'll find that that word is used quite often in the Old Testament. And, the, and a lot of the times when the word is used, it's connected to women in childbirth. When, when a woman is, is giving birth to a child, it's the distress that she's going under. That's the word that Jonah uses. And not only that, look what he says next. He says, out of the belly of Sheol. If you look at that word belly, it's often talking about the womb. So here's Jonah describing how he feels. And he feels like what he would imagine it would be like to be a child inside the womb. He is constrained. He is constricted. If you can imagine being inside of a fish, he, he can't move. He has no ability to control anything. He's in there and he's wrapped up and he is absolutely constrained. Powerless. And you know what he says? He says, God will hear me even here. It can also relate to him being in the Mediterranean Sea and sinking to the bottom. And as the pressure of that water forces the last little bit of air out of his lungs, as the, as the ocean, as the sea is crushing down upon him, as he sinks to the bottom, he says, even in this place, even in this place of pain, even in this place of pressure, even in this place of powerlessness, God hears my voice and knows what I'm going through. You know, I, we can go through all kinds of really hardship, but as I look across this fellowship, I know some of your stories, and I know what some of you've been through. Some of you've been through some stuff because of you, and so have I. But don't believe the lie that Satan's telling you in that moment. Lost friend, let me tell you this: you've never put your faith in Jesus. You you, you have never stopped for a moment to consider Jesus and put your faith in Him. But yet, there's just something that keeps compelling you. To, to ask questions. There's something that keeps compelling you to come back here. There's something that keeps compelling you to send me an email. And what's compelling you is the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm here. God is here. He's right there. And you, whatever you've done, whatever you've committed, whatever great sins or disobedience you've done, you've not gone too far. If this guy in the belly of this fish and the bottom of the water has not gone too far, then there's hope for you. If God hears him, he hears you. He knows the motivations. He knows the thoughts of your heart. So the first thing that this pit is going to teach us is that God hears you even while you're in the pit. Whether it's a pit of your own doing or a pit of simply being a human being on a broken planet. If you're in the pit, God hears you. He's there with you. Second thing I want you to see is what the pit teaches us. Look at verse 3. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verses 3 all the way down to about 7. Is, is Jonah, while he's in the belly of the fish, recounting what happened when he went over the board, overboard, over the ship. He's in the water. He hits the water and he begins to sink. It says here, you cast me into the deep. And he begins to sink, sink deeper and deeper into the Mediterranean. It says that the floods surrounding him, they passed over him. He says that I am driven away. He says there's a disconnect between where God is calling him to go and what God has called him to do versus where he is now. And as he sinks deeper and deeper and as his lungs are pressed by the water, Jonah realizes something. Jonah realizes there is no plan B. Jonah realizes that he's out of control. I'm going to tell you something. The pit, the trouble, the problems, that we bring into our own life, I'm going to tell you something we'll, they'll teach you. And they'll teach you really quick is you were never in control to start with. Think about it. Jonah 
Here's from the word of the Lord. The Lord says to his prophet, Jonah is a prophet. A prophet has already surrendered their life to God to be the spokesperson for God to wherever God sends them. And up until the point of the book of Jonah, God had sent Jonah to deal with this northern kingdom. Hey, it was his people, people that he knew. But then when God steps in and says, hey, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, nope. By the way, that's the only response we've got from Jonah to God in the early part of this narrative. It's just no, not going. You see, Jonah thinks he's in control. So Jonah pays the fare. He gets on the boat to Tarshish. He's headed out across the Mediterranean. He takes a nap. He thinks he's good. Remember, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But when he hits that water, Jonah no longer has any other plans. And as he sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into the water, it says here that he sinks all the way down. It says in verse 6, he says, and at the, he said, the weeds in verse 5, the waters closed in to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Here's Jonah on the seafloor of the Mediterranean. He looks around and all he sees is seaweed. He sees the roots of trees. This man has no control at this moment. He's trying his very best to get back to the service. He can't. He's fighting with everything he can to get life and get air. He can't do it. He is completely out of control. He is completely powerless. And that is exactly what a pit is meant to do. Because for far too long, you've been trying to control the outcomes. Disciple of Jesus, hear me clearly. When you try to control God, when you try to control the Holy Spirit, when you, when you try to dictate to God what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, you can make sure and you make no mistake about it, the clouds are gathering, a storm is coming, and the purpose of that storm is to get, to get to you to a point to where he wrestles control out of your grip. Isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Giving up day-to-day -day control of our own life? Well, that's hard, isn't it? Trust. And where do we learn trust? Where do we learn that God is faithful? Where do we learn that he's in control? Most often, it's in the pit. The pit of our own doing, the pit somebody else is doing, in that mess that we're in, we find out that we don't have any control. And you know what that does? It causes us to trust him. Because if you don't have any control, then where are you going to run to? It's in that pit that you find out what you trust in. It's in that pit that you find out what you trust. And it's in that pit we find out that God is in control, that God has my very life in the palm of his hands, that the very next beat of my heart and the very next breath of air that I take is in the sovereignty, in the providence of God. And sometimes, sometimes, the only way to learn that is when everything else is taken away. All the comforts, all the control, all the ideas, all the plans, the planner, the calendar, but it all goes out the window. And this is why he's there. Remember, the reason he's there, the reason he's at the bottom of the Mediterranean is because of control. God, I will not go. God, I am not going to Nineveh because Nineveh doesn't deserve your grace. Nineveh doesn't deserve to have an opportunity to repent. Therefore, Jonah decides that he's God and boards the ship for Tarshish. But God's reminding him who's really in control here, and it's not Jonah. So God hears you when you're in the pit, 
We learn that when we're in the pit. While we're in the pit, we learn that God's in control, not us, and we got to give up control to him. Here's the third thing, is it renews our focus on God. Now notice this. Jonah, while he's in Joppa, has no concern for God or God's will or God's purpose. As a matter of fact, the only time we see God's name being used is in verse 9 when he finally confesses in chapter 1 in verse 9 where he finally confesses that he's a Hebrew and he's the reason that storm is hit and he's the reason that all this is happening and that he believes in Jehovah God. That's the only time we see him even talking about God is when he confesses what's going on and the mariners realize that he's the problem. Jonah is the problem. But then after he's in this pit, guess what happens? He gets an intense focus on God. Look what he does, verse 2. I'm just going to go through this. It says in verse 2 that he called out to the Lord. It says in verse 6, notice this, verse 6. He says, oh, Lord, my God. Now look at that phrase closely. What Jonah is saying here is not only is God creator, but God is Lord. What does that mean? Well, God is in control. Jonah is realizing that he's out of control, that God is in control, and that's why he's Lord. Oh, Lord, my God. Right there, Jonah is beginning to show us inside the belly of the fish that he recognizes who God is is and that he is sovereign he's in control and that jonah is his servant it's amazing what the pit can do verse 9 look what he says there he says salvation belongs to the lord jonah is more focused on god than he ever has before why is that because where else does he have to run when when life is being squeezed out of you maybe not literally but figuratively when you're drowning in the circumstances of decisions you've made, you know what it's like to feel like you're just constricted and constrained. It feels like the world has closed. Have you ever been to that place where it feels like the world has just closed in around you? You can't even get a breath of air. Not drowning in an ocean, but drowning in your own foolishness and sin and circumstance. You ever been there? I have. And that's when school is in session. That's when God is going to teach us some things. And that's when we begin to call on God, maybe for the first time in our life. Down through the years of ministry, I've met people that had never called on God even a single time until a diagnosis, until a marriage breakup, until a child or grandchild gets into incredible trouble. They've never called on God until there's no one else to call on. When they can no longer call on the government to fix it, when they can no longer call on the counselor to fix it, when they can no longer call on the preacher to fix it, then they call on God. I would offer to you that it would have been a whole lot better if Jonah had called on God while he was on that boat when the storm was hitting. Or can we agree on that? Wouldn't it have been a lot better off if Jonah had it just said to the mariners, look, you guys are praying to false gods. Let me tell you about the real God I serve. I'm going to call on him, and I'm going to commit my life back to what he called me to do. Don't you know that storm would have ended just like that? The reason he's in the water, the reason he's in the fish, is because he'd forgotten about God. He didn't care. It was all about him and about control, about his plan for his own life. But now all of a sudden he's calling out to God. He's praying to God. He's saying he wishes that he can look upon the dwelling place of God. Look at verse 4. He says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again 
upon your holy temple. Jonah's singular desire is not just necessarily to get out of the fish, not necessarily to get out of the water. Jonah's singular focus at this point is God. And that's what the pit will do. It will line up your priorities really quickly, and it will refocus our attention. This next part is going to surprise you. This, this next part is going to surprise you in that here is Jonah in the belly of a fish, and what's he doing? He's praising God for deliverance. In this belly of the fish, he's looking back to when he was thrown over, and he's given us the account of what happened, and he's praising God for the salvation that belongs to the Lord. The salvation that God provided is what he's praising God for. Well, what salvation did the Lord provide Jonah from drowning? It's going to surprise you. You know what the salvation of the deliverance was? A big old fish. Is that not crazy? You never thought about the fish that way, did you? Well, yes, the fish is part of the judgment, right? The fish, the fish is going to get Jonah's attention. Yes, God is still correcting Jonah in the belly of that fish. But get this, Jonah is praising God for the deliverance that came through being swallowed. So here, get this picture. Here's Jonah on the bottom of the Mediterranean. He's gasping. He's got that last little bit of breath. Maybe he's starting to get a little bit dizzy. As a matter of fact, it says here he almost fainted. He, his life was fleeting away. He's about to go out. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Well, he's about to black out. And what does he see coming in the distance? Because he has no way to get to the surface. There's no air. Nobody's reaching in to save him. The, the ship has sailed on. And then a fish, a big one, comes out of the murky deep opens his mouth, and swallows him. Now inside that fish, again, he's constrained. He can't move. It's pitch black dark. There's probably moments of drowning and being able to breathe. Apparently there's a pocket of air in there where he can continue to breathe. He stays in that fish for three days and three nights. Yes, I believe three days and three nights. The fish was the method of deliverance to save Jonah's life. So this leads me to the next point of what the pit will show us. Sometimes God's deliverance is painful. It doesn't always fit in with what we think deliverance looks like. Now, I can make no mistake about it. If I'm in the fish, my full focus and my full attention has to get me out of the fish. Because that had to be awful. I can't imagine the smell. I can't imagine what that would have been like. But what's Jonah doing? He's praising God in the fish because the fish is what just saved him from drowning. But the deliverance that we're seeking, the deliverance we're looking for, doesn't always come in a nice little neat package that has Jeff's comfort wrote all over the outside of it. Sometimes the decisions that you've made, the circumstances you've got to live through, sometimes that's painful. This is painful. But yet, Jonah sees God at work here. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's on the bottom of the sea. It says here that his, the bars closed in around him, verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. At the moment I was about to die, at the moment I was about to tap out, at the moment I was about to give up, at the moment I was about to just cast it all away and say it's over, you swept in with a fish and you delivered me. This shouldn't really surprise us, actually. Because God often works in ways that we don't expect him to work. Oftentimes, deliverance comes in a way that we weren't 
exactly expecting. For example, for, for the person who's been addicted to heroin or, or some kind of painkillers or alcohol, when they finally come to that place where they're going to they're gonna quit, I, I can't do this anymore, this is destroying my life. Well, what often comes next is what we call detox. And if you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to be the sickest you've ever been in your life. You're going to see things that aren't there. You're going to crave that drug or that alcohol like you've never craved it in your life, and you'll do almost anything to get to it. So what actually happens is, is the mode of deliverance takes you through some hardship before you come out on the other side. But again, this shouldn't surprise us because the gospel itself is a deliverance that we weren't quite expecting. Turn over to Matthew 12. Turn over to Matthew 12. So here's Jonah in the belly of a fish, and that belly of the fish just happens to be how God's going to bring salvation to his life and spare him. But, but Jesus talks about this event. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Jesus is having some pretty tense interaction with the Pharisees and the scribes. And by this point in Matthew, he's already performed several miracles. He's already proven time and time again that he's exactly who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, God in the flesh. But the Pharisees were still wanting to see one more sign, one more miracle. And I want you to hear how Jesus answers them because it ties directly into Jonah. So this is Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, I hope you realize there, and you can go back to Jonah, I hope you realize that, that Jesus believes that Jonah's a real man and a real fish, right? I told you I'd tie that back in. Jesus, the Son of God, says to us right there that Jonah's a real guy and a real fish for three days and three nights, three literal days, three literal nights. But then Jesus says something that's really, well, mysterious. He says that just like Jonah was in the belly of that fish, and that belly of that fish was, just happens to be Jonah's deliverance, so will Jesus be in the heart of the earth. So this is after Jesus' death. He dies on the cross. He sheds his blood, and then he's placed in a tomb. Now, there's other connections that I'm, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole today theologically, but just to say what Jesus is talking about is his crucifixion being placed in the tomb. And he says that just like Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of fish, so shall the Son of Man be. Here's what's happening. If you remember when the disciples were walking with Jesus, they were constantly arguing about this great kingdom that Jesus came to build. Peter and James and John in particular. But it, it, was, it was a problem for all the disciples. Where there's this idea that Jesus was building an earthly kingdom. They were going to have some nice, cushy positions in that kingdom. So the disciples were completely and totally focused on their own comfort, their own power, their own abilities, their own, what, what, what was going to happen when Jesus takes the power and Jesus takes the throne and he kicks the Romans out. Hey guys, we're all going to be having some really good positions in this new kingdom, right? So they were all thinking about an earthly kingdom and they were all focused on their own comforts. James and John, the sons of thunder, even had their mother asking Jesus, hey, uh, what kind of position my son's going to get? You know, they've been with you for a while. Now, Jesus had said to the disciples multiple times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, 
going to resurrect three days. They could not, they could not wrap their mind around that. They were focused on comfort. Jesus was focused on going to a cross. And it's through that cross, the mystery and the beauty and the, the suffering, the death, the bleeding, the pain, the agony that Jesus went through. During that time, the world saw it as a failure. The, the world saw what Jesus did, and even to this day, looked at what Jesus did there, said, oh, it's a failure. He's, he's, he's dying between two crosses. He's, he's accused of blasphemy. The disciples look at it and go, it's over. Judas is already dead. They look around, and now they're all scared to death because the next thing they think is going to happen is they're all going to be arrested. So they look at this, and they say it's an absolute, complete failure. In other words, there's no way that Jesus could bring deliverance to a group of people through a Roman cross and a guy from Nazareth who died on it and accused of blasphemy. There's no way that could happen, right? There's no way that deliverance could come such, through such pain and suffering. There's no way that God is up to something here. Well, Jesus says, just as the mystery of Jonah being delivered by a fish is crazy and outlandish. The same thing happened when Jesus suffered on a cross and was placed in a tomb. This deliverance was painful. This deliverance that Jesus provided to every single one of us, that, that deliverance that he provided, he took the pain and the shame and the sin upon himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Deliverance can be very painful. Deliverance may require you, Christian, to go back. If you're a Christian, deliverance may require you to go back to that person you hurt and say you were wrong. It hurt. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard on the pride. It's hard on our ability to accept responsibility for what we've done. It may mean that you go to your spouse, you tell your spouse, I've been having an affair, and confess that. It's painful, isn't it? It's hard. But I'm convinced that when we get ourselves called in these kinds of things, that deliverance often comes comes through pain and hardship and difficulty. Jesus said to everyone who follows him, take up a cross and follow me. That sounds like pain and suffering to me. Jonah's deliverance comes through a fish that swallows him. And notice what Jonah says here in verse 8. And this, this verse seems, this verse seems kind of out of place. I'll admit that. And I wrestled with verse 8 quite a bit. It's almost like Jonah is preaching a little mini message here to all of us, and he's preaching it from the fish. And here's what he says. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their, forsake their hope and steadfast love. Now, that statement, when you read the rest of the psalm or the prayer, this verse just doesn't really fit in with what he's saying. It's almost like he takes a little side trail. Here's what's happening. Jonah says a message to all of us and to all of Israel from the belly of the fish, and here's what he says. He says, there is no false God that will ever deliver you out of anything. He recognizes that the fish was sent to him by God as a response to his prayer. And this fish swallows him, and, and Jonah realizes and wants all of us to know and all of Israel to know and everyone who reads Jonah's story, this one verse in verse 9, he wants us to know that there is no way that a false idol will ever send deliverance. It's because that idol does not have the capacity to love you. 
That idol has no capacity to intervene. That idol has no providence or sovereignty. And the pit will always show you who your God is. The pit will show you where you're trying to find deliverance. The pit will show you that if you're looking for deliverance in another human being, a relationship, and money, and fame, and power, it will reveal to you who your God really is. And deliverance will only come from one place. Finally, I want you to see this. And this is the last thing that I see that comes out of this story as a result of being in the pit. Is that when God brings you out of that pit, when God intervenes, when God moves, when God does that work in your life, whether that's for salvation to bring you out of that pit of darkness, or, or whether you're a Christ follower and, and you've gotten off the path and God brings a storm, brings correction, you see it, you respond with repentance, and God brings you out of that, here's what I see that the pit will provide. A deeper, deeper, deeper appreciation for the grace of God. We just sung about it, that amazing grace. That God would focus his attention on us, that he would hear our prayer, that he would, he would send deliverance, that he would bring us out. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That fish was just as happy to get rid of Jonah as Jonah was happy to get out of that fish. But you could laugh there. That's what it was meant for, but anyway. Jonah has been delivered. And when you've come out, on the other side, and you know for a fact, there's no mistaking it, that God did it. Lost person for salvation, when you, when you come to faith in Christ and you put your faith in Jesus, when you experience that and the Holy Spirit fills you up and you, you are now right with God and all that past sin and shame has gone away, you'll know in that moment that it was not because you were a good person. You'll know that it was with the grace of God that pursued you, that loved you. You'll know it. But what's amazing about Jonah and what makes God's grace even more amazing and abounding in, in Jonah chapter 2 is what we don't see in Jonah chapter 2. What I wish we saw in Jonah chapter 2, but we don't. What we don't see in Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah calling out the Lord saying, Lord, I was wrong, you were right. I should have never went to try to go to Tarshish. I should have went to Nineveh. I was wrong. I sinned against you. I sinned against the holy God. God, I'd made a commitment to you as a servant, as a prophet, to go and be your mouthpiece. And the very moment you speak to me to go to Nineveh, what do I do? I say no and I run. God, the reason I'm in this mess is because of that choice. And God, rightfully so. We don't see any repentance. We don't see any brokenness. We don't see anything other than Jonah saying, man, I don't want to be in this fish. And man, I'm glad I didn't drown. Thank you, God, for not letting me die at the bottom of an ocean or in the belly of a fish. And that's great. I'm glad that Jonah is thanksgiving. I'm glad that he's grateful. I'm glad that Jonah is praising God for that. But what I wish is that Jonah would have said in this psalm, God, I am sorry. And the reason I know he didn't say it is because we have Jonah chapter 4. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4 tells us that when Jonah was spit out on the beach, in his heart was still racism towards the Ninevites. He goes in spite of himself. 
But what I want you to see here is God's glorious grace here. Because Jonah should have never survived that. Jonah should have never come out of this situation. He should have never been rescued out of the sea. He should have never been able to come out of a fish's belly. The fact of the matter is, is that it wasn't, if it wasn't for the grace of God, Jonah would have died. He shouldn't have survived it. But get this. Nobody expect Jesus to survive either. When he died on that cross and they took his body down, the disciples... The Pharisees, the Romans, all were in agreement. And you know what they agreed on? It's over. He's done. The Pharisees were rejoicing. The Romans were like, finally, we can have some peace again. The disciples were brokenhearted. They're like, our rabbi's gone. Now what are we going to do? Everybody would have the same conclusion for those first few days, right? It's over. Until some women go to a tomb. And the tomb's empty. And John and Peter run to that tomb, and it's empty. They're in an upper room, locked doors, because they're scared to death of what's going to happen next. And who appears in the room? Jesus. It should have been over for Jonah. It should have been over for Jesus. But it was for the grace of God and his love for you and his love for Jonah that the story doesn't end on the bottom of the Mediterranean, and the story doesn't end at a tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem. What does the pit teach us? Well, it teaches us some things that I don't think we could learn otherwise, and I wish it could be otherwise. I wish, I wish we could learn these lessons without having to go through that. But as we look through the Bible, as we look through history, what do we find? We find people in a pit of their own doing. We find God who still hears their voice. We find God who says, you're going to have to give up control, and I'm willing to put you in these circumstances to wrestle that control out of your hands. And we find people who run right back to God because there's nowhere else to run. And then we find over and over and over again the amazing beautiful grace of God that says, I'm going to save you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to deliver you, even though you don't deliver, you don't deserve it. You don't. I would dare say that there are some of you right now in that pit. And you know the difference. It's not a pit that was just thrust upon you. It's not a pit that came out of the blue somewhere that you had no, re, no uh, connection to as far as your own sin or disobedience. I think you know the difference. And I think there are people here today that are born-again believers who put their faith in Jesus, but somewhere along the way, well, you said no. You said no. And I believe that the storm clouds have gathered. They're swirling all around you. And maybe for the first time today, you realize that that storm you're in is really because of you. Lost person, you're in a storm. You're in a bad one. You're in a bad one. And that storm, the one you're in, is one that's going to go on and on and on and on until you put your faith in Jesus. Until you accept the deliverance that Jesus provided for you on a cross and an empty tomb. That was for you. He had his eye on you. He had his eye on you. Just like he had his eye on Jonah, he's got his eye on you. That's why he keeps drawing you here. That's why you keep asking questions. That's why you keep sensing that there's something you need to do. Well, let me tell you what you need to do. Put your faith in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, trust him. 
Tell him that you're sorry for all the mess that you've made. Tell him you're sorry that you accept responsibility for the fact that you've made a mess of your life and that you're going to quit running to every other false God out there and you're going to stop and you're going to trust him and you're going to give him your total and complete life today. Deliverance has been provided. And it came in a way that even now the world doesn't fully understand. It came through a bloody cross and an empty tomb. I think there's where you need to put your trust and your faith because it's where I've put mine. It's changed my life and it'll change yours. Father in heaven, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for his psalm and his prayer. And Father, I can relate to Jonah in that even in the midst of storms at times, Father, we still try to fix it ourselves. Jonah still, after he comes out of this belly of the fish, he still has got problems in his life. And, and Father, so do we. For some of us, Lord, you've already delivered us. Out of your great grace, you've delivered us. But Father, we went right back, right back to the same choices, right back to the foolishness. And yet, we're surprised to find ourselves in the middle of another storm, in the middle of a pit, Father, whether it's addictions, broken relationships, a loss of a job, loss of income, loss of money or wealth, whatever it is, Father, you hear us in the pit. And I pray, Father, there'd be some today that would call out to you. They would not believe the lie that they would call out to you today. Some for salvation, some for restoration but all understanding that there is no deliverance apart from Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your patience towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for that goodness and that promise. Now, Father, move. Holy Spirit, move. And Father, I pray that we would all yield to your power in this place. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.